0: Couple things before we share that whole monster under the bed thing. I'm serious. I went back to make sure we recorded it, and Ryan reminded me we record everything. But I felt like that was so powerful. That whole, um, not necessarily the, the monsters under your bed, but it's the whole thing of fear. And the last song we we sang, we are no longer under fear. Um, I know we prayed, Paul how to pray for the ladies. I, I, I just feel like um, we're supposed to, um, I don't know, a monster under the bed thing still in me. I have no monsters under my beds for at least over a year. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously joking, but if you have issues with sleep, like night terrors, um, you, you, can't, you can't sleep at night, um, insomnia, um, anything that has to do with sleep, anything that has to do with night, you're afraid of the dark, a lot of people afraid of the dark, um, anything that has to do with that, would you just stand up? <clears throat> I really feel like there's something, when she was singing that song, I felt the Holy Spirit just touched my heart. I haven't ran back to that booth in years and said, make sure we record this. But I felt like God was doing something about um, the monsters under the bed. And um, probably we all had, I don't know, most of us probably had fears of dark when we were kids, you know. There's something about dark. You know, I went through a season, this has been a long time ago. I I haven't even remembered it till tonight, actually, for a a long time. But I went through a season where um, I had this intense fear that, if I fell asleep, I wasn't gonna—I was gonna die in my sleep. It was, it was totally irrational. I knew it was irrational. It didn't help me sleep. It <laughs> uh, wasn't like I was crazy. I knew it was wasn't rational, but it was really intense. And I would fight to—I um, was fighting this whole war in my brain. Okay, you know this is crazy. You know this—you're not nuts. Go to sleep. And, um, and then I would lay there and listen to my heartbeat and all kinds of crazy stuff. And, uh, you know, later on, I I actually did realize it was some kind of a spiritual battle, but later on I realized it it was really a spirit that was trying to wear me out. And Daniel 7 says that the horn waged war against the saints and wore out the saints of the highest one. And there's something about sleep. Well, we know just the natural, obviously you need to sleep. But there's something about wearing us out he can't stop it the enemy can't stop us but he can just wear us out and uh, and part of it is sleep so lots of people standing right now let's see how are we going to do what are we supposed to do about that i mean i know we're supposed to pray (laughs) obviously we're supposed to pray about that don't worry i'm just thinking about if there's anything special we're supposed to do Okay, just put your hand on your heart right now. and Those of you who are standing. And the rest of you, I don't, I don't want you to put your hands on them. I just want you to extend your hand to them, if you would, please. And um, <clears throat> we just, uh, right now, we agree together, as your brothers and sisters, um, that God would take your nights and he'd make them like a noon day. And no longer would you fear the night in any way no longer would you fear the dark no longer would you fear being alone turning off the lights um, uh, night terrors uh, thoughts out of control thoughts panic attacks um, all these things that often um, take root when the world around us slows down and we close that door we turn off the light to try to sleep and all these things just start to feed into our minds. And I just, right now I just break the power. I break the power of darkness. Mm -hmm. Just stay praying for a minute. I just wanna see there's a verse that's coming to my mind. Uh, Maybe. You're good, right? No problem. Now it's just uh, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but one of the things is against world forces of darkness. And uh, I understand that that's not just about the dark, but it does often affect dark. It often affects our night seasons. And so, Lord, we just pray against this world force of darkness that is infecting and affecting your people. In Jesus' name, we break that thing, and we pray, and we release right now this prophetic word that says, that your sleep shall be blessed. Beginning tonight, insomnia is going to be broken. Night terrors are broken tonight. You're going to go to sleep. You're going to lay down. You're going to fall asleep so quick. You're gonna be like, what the heck happened to me? And you're going to rest so deep. and You're just going to fall into the arms of God. And the monsters that are under your bed, they're going to just go away. They're going to flee. They're going to run away. Because this word right now, The Lord is using this word like a weapon of warfare. And so when you go, when you lay down tonight, I want you to think about this prophetic word where the Lord said, my sleep shall be peace. And I just release that to every single person. And by the way, if you're dealing with it during the day too, just receive it for the day. (laughs) That way pretty soon you'll be like, I like night. I don't like the day. But (laughs) we just say this is all about You living in peace, me living in peace. And so we just release that over you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Sir, you're in a plaid shirt right there. You're back right there. You're looking at me. You're right next to, yeah, right next to that gentleman. Yeah, would you stand up, please? What's your name, sir? Did you say Ray? Ray. Are, are Are you from here? Sacramento. Y'all you know, saw the number five over you when I got up here. And I, uh, this is a, this is a, a season of grace where the Lord is restoring things that were lost in your life, and especially things related to relationships. And Isaiah sixty uh, says uh, it talks about your sons coming from afar, your daughters can carrying their arms. And it's a, I just feel like there's a spirit of reconciliation on you, and you're magnetic. Like the Lord has. Uh, Shifted, you know how magnets attract or detract depending on the poles? I feel like the Lord has spun the poles around and all of a sudden everything's magnetic and everything sticks to you in, in a good way. Uh, it's a season of restoration and it's also not just a reconciliation for you but through you that the Lord's using you as a bridge between people to, uh, to reconcile people, to reconcile families. And I uh, see the Lord putting a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of counsel on you. And I'll see you having, uh, uh, you know, just like from what you've gone through, the Lord, like, He uses us in our place of weakness often to, to and He flows through us in our, in our places that used to be broken. And um, so I, I just read Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4. Those would be your verses. And, and be ready for people just to stick to you, you know, just to want to follow you around. There's just this thing about favor yeah, you know the word grace and favor are identical in the New Testament. That means uh, that power, the power of grace and the the um, the attraction of favor, they're directly connected, especially in your life. Okay, does that make any sense to you at all? All right, it's a good word. I, I'm right about that. I thought about it after <laughs> I gave it to you. <coughs> should still judge still. Thank you. Yeah. You're right there. You're blonde and you're in second row. Third row. Yes. You're shaking your head. Yes. 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 You. Could you stand up? I'm so sorry. She told you something to do, huh? <laughs> What's your name? Vicky. Vicki. Mm, lots of good word. All right. That's a good name. Um, preparing. Uh, you, you're uh, preparing the way for people. I saw you, like, you know how they prepare, uh, I, I guess, uh, ladies that are, um, uh, like, they're running They're running for Miss America contests and they take uh, months to show them how to walk and dress and act and give you know, the right answers. And, and I feel like the, the Lord's going to use you like a Holy Spirit supernatural um, consultant for, uh, for beauty pageant, but it's not about natural beauty as much as it's about spiritual beauty and I feel like it's giving you a ministry like it's um it's almost like supernatural coaching and it's specifically and it might be for someone else too but it's specifically for ladies that are coming out of really dark places um maybe even prison out of drugs all this stuff and they have no life skills and I see you like teaching them how to be a princess and uh, it's it, it's on you to do this like it's uh, are you maybe you're doing it already I, but I see you even gathering them in your home, and you're, um, I see the Lord like giving you all these verses that are really, pra- I mean, they're just practical life skill verses, like things that maybe most people would grow up with if they grew up in a Christian home, but I see you imparting them to these ladies and teaching them how to behave, how to answer, how, I mean, how to, even, even the proper way to sit at a table and, and be, you know, you know uh, graceful and ladylike. And um, this is a really big deal to God that, that, um, that we learn how to live as royalty and nobility. So there's a great grace on you. And you're a really special person. And your name is Vicki. You're like Victory, right? You got to have a battle to have victory, though. All right. <laughs> That's a good word, too. I'm pretty sure I'm right about that. Um let's just pray for the night, Lord, thanks for what you're doing today and already all through the, the day and the worship and all the ministers and Eric's message this morning and just and just hanging out with us through through the day. We just thank you for your, um, your presence that guides us and the Holy Spirit, we pray that you would guide us tonight. That you would guide. That you would guide my words, that you would guide my thoughts, that you would guide our thoughts, that you would, that you would mold us, and that you would um, give us the ability to um, grasp um, new kingdom ideas, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I, I have uh, a little bit, uh, maybe a little different, st- strange word. First of all, I have a word for 2015, which um, I actually got uh, uh, probably a month ago. And share it with a few close uh, friends and some of our staff. And, uh, and, um, and I don't know that it's completely, uh, the reason why I haven't shared it uh, publicly is because I haven't really felt like it was the right time. And, and uh, also, I felt like I haven't, I feel like it's not all fleshed out inside of me. So I'm going to give you what I have. And, and then I'm going to, I, and I want to share with you. First of all, I feel like the book of Esther is is the 2015 it's the book of 2015. I feel, like, I feel like the book of Esther is the prophetic declaration for 2015. And so I want to tell you a little bit about what the Lord showed me um, about, about that, and I want to talk about the book of Esther in a couple of dimensions. One, I want to talk to you about the prophetic sense that I have for 2015 and how it relates to the book of Esther, and probably this is going to be more than one night. I'll probably do a series. I'm thinking I'm going to do a series on the book of Esther if I get more than past chapter two and uh, the second thing is I, I feel like the lord's given me some insight into some practical parts of, of uh and some practical things to say about the book of esther anyway let, let me just begin by saying this uh, you know the book of esther is really a, um it's really a prophetic word for 2015 and let me if you don't know much about the book of esther let me just tell you this just give you a, a quick overview of the book of esther it's it's about a king who divorces his first wife because she won't party with him. It's <laughs> really true. He gets drunk and with his friends, and he tells Vashti to come. She's really beautiful, and he wants to show her off. And for whatever reason, and I, you know, we we can fill in some spots. And there's I know there's lots of different uh, ideas about why she won't come. Um, you know, maybe because he's drunk and she doesn't want to be put on display. She doesn't want to be the trophy wife. I don't, I'm, I don't know. That's my own commentary on it. But, but maybe because she's rebellious or whatever, I, I, don't, I don't really, you know, who would know? You could guess. Um, my, my, my sense is that, um, and I, I don't know that this is from the Lord, but my sense is that she's, she doesn't want to be the trophy wife. She doesn't want to take part in his drunken party, and she refuses to come. And so through a series of events, the king divorces her, and he marries a second wife who's actually from the wrong side of the tracks but he doesn't know it because she's Jewish and and those are kind of you know those people are the second class citizens but her uncle Mordecai tells her to hide her um, her origin her ethnic origin and so she does and the king marries her and she's prepared for a year to have an intimate relationship with the king and Esther's, um and so this whole so this whole story unfolds and I, I, I don't know how much we're going to do of it, uh, about it tonight, but she ends up in the palace with the king. The king chooses her, and, um, and then some really bad stuff happens, and there's, a, there's an enemy called uh, Haman who wants to kill all the Jews. And, and obviously, this is, a, this is a much longer story than this. And Esther is kind of having a lot of fun in the palace. And she's kind of in there, you know, doing her, her uh, you know, her thing, her beauty thing. And, and Mordecai is in the trenches. Mordecai is, he's stressed, and he is the one who's empowered Esther to actually be in the, in the palace in the first place. And so he's kind of telling Esther, hey, you got to do something about this. And she's kind of resisting. She's kind of like, uh, you know, yeah, it'll, it'll work out. And Finally, uh, you probably know the story well. All the ladies do. It's their favorite book, usually. (laughs) And and they get mad when I tell the story the way I'm probably going to tell it later tonight. But but, um, finally, Mordecai says to Esther, hey, don't think that because you're in a palace, you're going to be saved, because when they start killing the Jews, you're going to be one of them. And if if you don't rise up, God will find somebody else. And maybe you were maybe you were, maybe you were, not oh, the right words, sorry, it slipped my mind, but maybe you were chosen for a time like this. There's another word in there. Maybe God brought you here, put you in the palace for this exact time. And so, um, so Esther finally does, as you know, uh, she, she's really afraid to see the king. She's you know, it's her husband, but he's, you know, he's obviously not a believer. He's got issues, probably anger issues, and she hasn't been summoned to see the king for a month, and so she's really afraid to go see the king. And Mordecai said, you you have to do this, baby. You got to get in there and see the king. And so she says, have everybody fast and pray, and my uh, maidens will fast and pray, and and I'll do it. And so she does, and she ends up to see the king, goes in to see the king, and scared for her life, and, and of course the Great story. The king extends the scepter to her and says, Come on in and influence me. Tell me what's, what's the issue. Invites Haman, who's the enemy, to have dinner with him, who's the king's right hand man. And um, again, longer story. But basically, she says to the king after two dinners, That guy right there, he's tricked you. He's a snake. And he's trying to kill my people. And by the way, I'm Jewish. And, um, and Haman has, um, he's got all these, you know, he's, he's got all these gallows that he's developed, that he's built to hang Mordecai and all of his friends. And so the king, he's not in a good mood. He's got anger issues himself. And he basically hangs Haman on the gallows that he developed that he built to hang Mordecai, her uncle, and all of her family. And then the king makes a decree and tells Esther, just do what you need to do to save the Jewish people. And we'll save that for another time because it's not really part of the prophetic word that I have. But I really feel, this is what I feel. I feel like 2015 is the year when, when, the fav, when favor's coming back to the church. And this is a year of preparation. And I want to tell you about it. I'm going to tell you more about it. So this is a year of preparation. And I, I had this vision really early, I think in uh, the first week of January. And I had, I had this, this vision. I woke up in the middle of the night of this king extending a scepter. And it wasn't the king of kings. It wasn't the Lord. It was, it was worldly kings. And they were extending the scepter to Esther. The, are you with me? The bride. Extending the scepter to the bride and saying, come influence me, and I, and I, and it, you know, if you're, if you've been around very long, you know that Christian, Christianity, and Christians, and you know, and and in a bigger sense, religion, has pretty much lost any influence in society, like we're played as fools in almost every movie, and we're, you know, when I was a kid, we're the priest, you know, with the cross, was the good guy in the movie. Typically, you can just figure out that the priest in almost every movie is going to be the child molester. He's going to be, you know, part of organized crime. He's going to be some bad guy. And, and we're played off as, as idiots and, and all of that. And, and it's, been, it's been just growing and growing. And, and it's a Haman, hangman, demonic spirit that wants to strip Believers from any authority, because our commission is to make disciples of nations I mean it 's a strategic plan to to deflock the church and to demote us to a place where we have no influence in the world and so groups people groups with two and three percent of the population are dictating political venues well well and, all, and at least in America you know christians people who would call themselves christians you know are more than 50% of the population and can't move and don't dictate any political agenda almost at all and listen this isn't a political message by the way i'm not talking about politics i'm talking about mindsets and i and i saw the i saw the king i saw a king extending a scepter to the bride of Christ and saying come influence me and I saw the church being very like timid like ah they don't want us in there and it felt like the Lord said no you don't understand I raised you up for this time not just so you can have great meetings and you know people can get healed and delivered that's all awesome but I am now extending the scepter I have how many of you know the hearts of kings are in the, in the hands of the Lord, and like water, He turns it whichever way He wishes. And I really feel strongly that the Lord is moving powerfully among influencers, and that He's raising up His Daniel's, His Josephs, His Esthers, the name whoever else you want. in there, that the Lord is actually giving favor, giving us favor to influence the, those those influencers. And I believe it's Esther season. And so I I want to tell you a little bit about about that. Is that that okay? So um, turn to Esther chapter 1, and we're going to read a little bit about Esther. Verse 10. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him in the presence of king, I think it's Ahushish, something like that, to bring queen vashi uh, before the king and her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and princes for she was beautiful but the queen but queen vashi refused to come at the king's command and delivered uh, uh, delivered by the e- the eunuchs then the king became very angry and his wrath burned within him and the king said to the, uh, verse 13 the king said to the wise men who understood the times so so um Sorry, let me just finish that, that thought. So the king decides to uh, divorce his wife. Verse 13, the king said to the wise men who understood the times, um, what should I do according to the law? Verse 15, what is to be done about Queen Vashti? Because she did not obey the command of the king delivered by the, the eunuchs. In the presence of the king and the princes, and this guy, sorry, Queen Vashti has wronged, his, this counselor tells the king, Queen Vashki has, wrong, has, has wronged not only the king, but also the princes and all the people of the provinces. For the queen's co- conduct will become known to all the women, causing them to look with contempt on their husbands by saying, King uh, Ashish commanded Queen uh, Vashki to be brought to his presence, but she did not come. This day the ladies of Persia and Mede, it's actually media that's kind of cool, huh? who have heard of the queen's uh, conduct will speak in the same way to all the king's princes and there will be plenty of contempt and anger. If it pleases the king, let a royal edict be issued by him and let it be written in the laws of the Persians and the Medes that they cannot cannot be repelled, that Vashti may no longer come into the presence of of the king and let the king give her royal position to another who's more worthy than she. When the king's edict which he will make is heard throughout all the kingdom, great as it is, then all the women will give honor to their husbands, great and small. Sorry, reading was so bad on that. But I think you get the point. So out of the fear, out of the fear of the power of womanhood, there's an edict that creates oppression, an oppressive response. Isn't that interesting? Are you guys, am I just so dead tonight? It's so funny tonight. I feel resisted, not by you. There's something just going on. I felt it early today. As good as the worship was. So Lord, we just break that off in Jesus' name. And we just pray for just peace, definitely on me and on the hearers, on everybody who's watching. So the king decides, the counselors say, listen, if you let your wife behave this way, if you let your wife tell you that she's not going to come, to your drunken parties, then what's going to happen is everyone's going to hear about it. Like all the other women are going to hear about it, and they're going to rebel against their husbands, and there'll be no order in the home. And you got to divorce this woman. And so the king, you know, he's 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 fine. He's mad. He divorces her, and a while later he misses her, and he starts thinking about what it was like in verse uh, chapter two he starts to remember what it was like to co-reign with his queen. And he starts to long for her. And so he goes back to his counselors and he said, you know, what should I do? Like, I really need a queen. And they said, why don't you do this? Why don't, you, why don't we gather the virgins, some of the virgins around the country, the most beautiful women, and why don't, why don't we have this contest and they'll come and we'll prepare them and then you pick a new queen, and so you know that story pretty well. Um, maybe uh, maybe there's parts of it that you you wouldn't quite know. And one of it, one part of it, is this. This gets um, always told. This story gets told like it's a beauty contest. And that, and it's it's funny how we sterilize Bible stories, maybe so we can tell them to our children. And and. This is not a beauty contest. You'll notice that in chapter two, you'll notice that these women prepare for a year to see the king. They come in to see the king and they spend the night with the king. And whatever, and so they each spend a night with the king. They come, they, you know, the eunuchs take care of them from the, the, their concubines. They're all virgins that before they see, before they're in this contest, they're all virgins while they're in this contest. And the king, and it says the king, they come to the king at night and they leave in the morning. Trust me, they're not playing checkers. (laughs) This is not a Christian book. Did you notice that the word God's not used in the book of Esther anywhere? And so they spend the night with the king. And if the king likes that woman, then they go to the second harem, which is kind of like round two. So first the king interviews them all. This is kind of, it's kind of a three-part thing. If you go back and read, I've read it three or four times a day. First they, 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 the king interviews them all. And so he interviews them all and he really likes Esther. And he starts, then he has them come one at a time and spend the night with the king. If the king likes them, if he likes what happened all night, then they go to the second harem and for Round two, if you will. But what happens is kind of cool in that when he meets Esther, he, he, he just falls in love with Esther. And she stays all overnight with him. She has a night with the king. And the king doesn't want to have... He, she won. And what makes the book of Esther good is that she took first place. Because if she took second place, That'd be a really bad book. Some of you are like, "Uh." (laughs) I, I wanna talk about that in a few minutes. Listen, in my opinion, the only really righteous person in the book of Esther, I'm talking about like morally righteous, is Vashi. Uncle Mordecai convinces Esther to join this contest, which, trust me, is not a beauty contest. No, it is a beauty contest, but the only judge sleeps with all the contestants. You're not liking this at all. (laughs) Especially the women, they're like, oh, you just wrecked my favorite book. There's a, there's a couple things I wanna, other things I want to say about this. Like, no, no, don't, don't tell me anymore. <laughs> Verse 12 of chapter 2 is interesting. It says, now um, when each lady, when, um, I'm sorry. Now, um, now when the turn of each lady came to the king after the end of 12 months under the regulations of the women for the days of their beautification were completed as falls. Six months with oil of myrrh, and six months with spices and cosmetics for the, for the women. And um, it's really interesting that they were prepared for a year to see the king. So first the king sees them. This is interesting. So you'll notice that the king interviews Esther and probably the other contestants before they go through the beautification process. And I think this is, this is really prophetic to me because the king's looking for someone who can be noble and who can if he will knows how to hang out in the palace and interact with those kind of people and when he meets Esther and he falls in love with her but you know she still has to go through the contestant process and i think it's still prophetic because she has to prepare to see the, she has to prepare to live in the palace even though she's called to live in the palace, she has to be prepared to live in the palace. And let's give the king a little credit in the book of Esther, because there's something is profound and prophetic about the sense that he sees Esther in her, if you will, in her rawness, without her makeup, without her preparation. And he goes, I love that babe, but she needs preparation. And so for six months, they, they put these... Ointments on her and and you'll notice that it says for the six months the first six months they use oil of myrrh and I looked that up and Actually the the that oil of myrrh is for infection and for skin conditions It heals wounds cracks in the skins wrinkles and it it helps support their immune system now if that's not profound about the body of Christ that the Lord is if you will he's working on us not just to make us beautiful. Before he ever makes us beautiful, he wants us to be whole. And so the key, so the, this is the way they prepare this Esther. I mean, to me, this is profound. They're putting ointment on her that isn't making her smell good. It's actually healing up her wounds, and it's, and it's, um, it's strengthening her immune system, and it's, it's making her whole and well. And then the next six months, they start doing what we probably all think about. It says, it says they gave her spices and cosmetics for women. Now they start making her skin beautiful, make her smell good. And, and I just think there's, this is profound, prophetic experience for this 2015. I feel like the first half of this year, the Lord is working on us. Not that we would look good, but that we would be whole. Like, there's something about the inner parts of us. Like, I I feel like, let me just stop for a second and say this. It takes royalty to disciple royalty. And can I say this? The church was born on the wrong side of the tracks. Like, we don't know anything about royalty and god says i want you to make disciples of nations and we're like we'll make disciples in nations and mostly we hang out with the poor which is great by the way we need to hang out with the poor but i think the lord wants us to actually disciple people who are actually influencing the mountains here's the struggle i don't think the struggle is our ability i think it's our i don't think that we actually know the attributes of royalty and what do we do when we get in the palace I remember my very first date in high school. I, I let me just say it differently. I, I had a lot of girlfriends in high school. I, I had a lot of girlfriends in school. It was kind of the cool thing to do. And obviously, in the broken home I was, grew up in, it was kind of the way you got your self-esteem is you always had to have a girl with you, at least as a guy. <laughs> now that could be different. And so um, when I was when I was a freshman in high school, it was the, right before I met Kathy. This girl asked me out to a Sadie Hawkins dance. You guys know what a Sadie Hawkins dance is? Do they still have such a thing? So it's where the girl invites the guy, right? And, and I don't know if he still have this custom, but they buy uh, a shirt for you, and you wear the sa- same shirts. Is that is the that same? Yeah. So, so <laughs> this girl invites me out. Now, I got I to gotta just tell you where I'm coming from. At this time in my life, I had never been to a restaurant. Besides, we didn't have Burger King in those days, but besides the Dairy Queen down the street, I had never been to a pizza parlor. I had never been to a restaurant in my entire life. I grew up for American dirt poor. Nothing like some of the countries we've been to, but... So I had never been to a restaurant. So the night before this date, so this girl asked me out, and I'm like, and she's, she's a junior, I'm a freshman, and, you know, she's, she's, she's beautiful in face and form, as it says in the book of Esther. <laughs> I'm not in love with her or anything, but you know, I'm like, well, she's kind of a friend of a friend, and so I, I'm like, yeah, she's a pretty girl. I'll go with her, and then you know, it's kind of like a month before she asked me, and then the night before, I'm on a panic. I'm like, I'm, I've actually never been on a real date before. Like the girls I hang out with, they don't go on dates. <laughs> you, you just think whatever you want. So I'm in, mean, like the night before, I'm, I'm literally, you know, and I'm kind of a last minute kind of guy anyway. Like you give me a month to do a project, especially in high school, I'm doing it the night before, right? So I'm not thinking about it till the day before. I'm like, oh, oh tomorrow's the dance. And, oh, and she gives me the shirt the day before, which really like, oh, this is really going to happen. And I, I actually, I've never been to a dance either, so I don't know how to do that either. And she tells me that she's going to take me to a nice restaurant, which we went to a steakhouse. It would probably be, I don't know, you know, whatever. It'd be probably like something a little bit better than Marie Callender's, you know. Not, but in those days, I'd never been to a restaurant. And so the night before, I'm in a panic. And my mom's like, what, what's wrong with you? And I'm, you know, telling her the whole thing. And, and so I'll never forget this. My mom said, okay, I'm going to set the table for you. And I'm going to show you how to eat in a restaurant. Because you know, in my house, you ate fast. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was a limited amount of food, so there was a whole another skill set necessary <laughs> in the house I lived in. <laughs> so my mom set the, this, t- you know, she got out China, this China, and she set, you know, all these forks, extra forks, uh, extra spoons and extra knives and, uh, and you know, a napkin. And she, you know, told me, okay, if you take the napkin, you put it in your lap. You, oh, you don't put your elbows on the table. Like, well, why not? You just don't do that. And you start from the outside and you work in, you know, with your utensils and you eat the, you know, the, you know, the salad first, which seemed really stupid to me. I'm like, why would anyone want salad if you could have something else? <laughs> anyway, so so she so for an hour my mother taught me literally we practiced for an hour i'll never forget it so that night so the next day we go on the date and we go this really i'm sure you know like in my mind it was like this amazing restaurant i'm sure it wasn't like that but and um and we walk in there and i am so nervous I'm, I'm running through my mind, like there's gonna be extra utensils. Which one do I use first? Oh God, what if I get it wrong? You know, she doesn't think I'm an idiot, you know? And so we, get, we, go, we go in and uh, to the table, we get to the table and it's, uh, it's us, you know, the two of us and another couple. We couldn't double date it. So I sit down at the table. When I go to sit down, I'm so nervous. I hit the fork, just <laughs> all these forks. I hit the fork and a fork flies. This is a God's truth. I am not exaggerating to be funny. The fork flies off my table and it lands in the guy's plate behind me. You could not have planned that if your life depended on it. So hey, I've never been to a restaurant like that. Like, what's protocol for getting your fork back? So, and she looks up at me, you know, and she's like trying to not. I'm sure she's like, "Guy's okay, an idiot," you know. So I turn around. You know, you, you guys know me. You can imagine when I was like, you know, 16. So I turn around and say, "Hey, dude, can I have my fork back?" <laughs> I get my fork <laughs> back on the plate. Oh Lord, I can't even imagine what this must look like, you know, now. <laughs> and, so, and so we get. To, so we go to sit down, and I get all the way down, and I, I remember at the last second I'm supposed to put my elbows on a table while I'm sitting. And so, trying to take my elbows off the table, I hit the knife, and the knife flies off, and it ends up on the floor. I have no idea you don't pick up the knife on the floor and you still use it. Right? Hey, where I grew up, you know, you got the five-second rule. You know, food falls on the floor, you pick it up and eat it. Because if you don't, your brother will. And then you're not going to get enough to eat, so, you know. So I go over and I'm just like, oh, man, you know, So she's looking at me like, I'm like, no problem, I got it. <laughs> I pick up the, 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 uh, the, it was a knife, I take up the knife and I put it on the table. <laughs> she's, like, she's looking at me like, she did not say anything. But now I'm thinking, she must have been thinking, you're not going to use that, are you? Like, it fell on the floor. Anyway, that was the beginning of our night. And it, it got worse from there. And, um, well, she never asked me out again. And, uh, yeah, whatever. But here's my point. (laughs) I have one in here somewhere. I was not ready for the palace. I was a pauper. I've never been in a palace before. You know, now I'm on metaphors, right? I, I didn't know how to eat with all those forks, or behave in a restaurant, or I never, you know. My mother, I mean, you know, you cut the food with one hand, and you, you know, you put your fork down, put your knife down, and, you know, use this. I'm not. What, why? Just eat as fast as you can, as much as you can. And and I, and I honestly feel like that the Lord is preparing us. He's teaching us. He has. His eunuchs, so to speak, people that have no agenda. Are you with me? Read between the lines. They have no agenda for Esther. They're eunuchs. Their whole job is to prepare her, not to meet the king, to live in the palace. And they're not just like, I don't imagine, there's, there's seven of them. I don't imagine they're just like putting ointments on mean, It doesn't take seven eunuchs to put ointment on you. I imagine they're teaching her, if you will, the language of Babylon. They're teaching her etiquette of the palace so that when she comes in to see the king, you know, she's not missing, what do they call it, incongeniality? I don't even know the word. But she knows how to behave in the palace. And, I, and I'd like to suggest to you that 2015 is the year that we learn how to behave with royalty. And you're like, well, that, that's not me. No, no, it's you. It's you. It's you. Like the Lord wants to teach us how to behave with influencers. The crazy thing is, you know, I, uh, we've met some people recently that are, you know, very wealthy, very famous people in the last several years. We've, we've been meeting more and more of those kind of people. And most of those people don't come to church. It's kind of crazy. Lots of them grew up in the church, but they had to leave the church to get famous. They had to leave the church to actually to grow because growing up in the church reduced them. And they don't come back to the church because when they do, they become the center of attention and everybody wants their autograph and their picture. And can you take a picture with me? And it's like, and there's nothing wrong with taking pictures with you know, famous people or anything, but it's to the, it gets to the place where these people like, I want to go and see God. I don't want to go and, and see my fans and sign autographs for my fans. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to be really careful, but I really feel like I am carrying something that's really more profound than it is revelatory. And so these people... I was in another country recently, and I went there five years ago for the first time, and this um, very powerful family who I got to know through this kind of supernatural act, actually, um, they're they're actually the rulers of their country. And so I'm like, so I I, I meet her at, at this conference, and we become really good friends, and I finally become good friends with their family. And I said, so, you know, what church do you guys go to? She goes, no, no, we don't, they don't go to church. We do church in our home. I'm like, you guys are new Christians. You need church. She said, "All right, I'm going to show you why I don't go to church. Let's go to church." This is my second visit. We go to church. While I'm standing there, it's another language, so I I don't actually know what's going on except for they're having a conversation. While I'm standing there, the pastor comes up. He introduces himself. Da da da. Obviously, these people are famous, so they know. They know them. And the pastor starts talking to her, obviously in another language. And when we leave, I said, what was that about? She said, well, he said, I I haven't seen you. Started telling her she needs to be in church and asked her for her tithe. Yeah. Wealthy people. Hanging out with poor people. And she started telling me stories of what happened as they grew wealthy and trying to hang out with people who don't know how to behave in the palace. I'll just put it that way. They don't know how to behave in the palace. They get around somebody who's, who has notoriety, and they just want, can I take a picture with you? And next thing you know, it's on Facebook, on Twitter, and everybody thinks that that's your friend. And I'm like, that's not the way to behave in the palace. Like, let people be people. We're all brothers and sisters, and we come here, and we hang out together, and we learn. I'll, maybe I need to get my mama here to finish this message. And so she marries, Esther marries the king. And, and I, I want to make some kind of comments now that, about that. You, you understand, Esther's the second wife of the king. The king did not marry, did not divorce Vashti because she was immoral. Like he didn't have grounds for divorce, but he divorces her and marries another woman. Do you understand this? And we celebrate Esther, the book of Esther, as this wonderful book with this wonderful woman who influenced the nation. By the way, I think she was a wonderful woman. So everybody that's mad at me, please relax (laughs) because I'm going probably a different place than you think. So, I, I, and, and let me just say this. Do you think the book of Esther is a book about how to win friends and influence people? I mean, do you actually think that God's saying, listen, you know, you don't want to influence, you know, just, just pray that, you know, the head of this corporation divorces his wife and, and marries you, and you can bring the kingdom to him. And what I'm getting at is this, is that God can use dysfunction but he doesn't create it. And sometimes we read, we read into stories and we want to, like, I don't know if it's childhood innocence or if, or if we're just ignorant. We read a story in a Bible and we think, well, if it's in the Bible, then obviously every part of it is God's commentary on how to do life. And I'd like to propose to you that much of the Bible is God's, is God's documentary on how they did life. And in the midst of how they did life, he intervenes and he does something amazing when they screwed up their whole life. Have you ever thought about this? It's like, we, in, in the body of Christ, if you're divorced, you're like a leper. You're like, uh, uh-oh, here we go. Now where are we going? Now you're promoting divorce. No, no, I'm promoting redemption. It's funny to me, um, it's funny to me that Esther is celebrated, she's the second wife of a king who's divorced, who doesn't know God, God's not even mentioned in the, in the book, she sleeps with the king before she marries him, she, all this crazy stuff, but she ends up, her life is, is, is she's, the re, she's part of the redemptive process of her people, are you with me? And we don't have any problem. Like We look at the Old Testament and we're like, that's awesome. We love Esther. And by the way, actually one of my favorite books. I love Esther too. So if you think I don't, you're missing my point. My point is her life was messy. And we celebrate it because it was a long time ago. And because we know the last chapter. And we know the power of redemption in the book of Esther is greater than the sins of the king. And I would propose maybe even the son of Esther. That's, I don't know that, but probably. Did you ever think about the dysfunctional family foundation of the nation of Israel? How many of you know that Jacob's name was changed to Israel and Israel worked seven years for a woman and on the honeymoon night, her sister ends up in his bed. Leah, do you remember this story? And so his father-in-law's solution is to take both wives. And the wife he loves, Rachel, can't have children or doesn't have children in the beginning. Follow me for a minute. She can't have children. And Leah ha- produces seven children. So finally, Rachel says, here's my maidservant, my, my, my mistress, my maidservant. Here, go into her. And have some kids and Jacob has sex with their maidservant and she has two kids and so the Leah goes well here I've got a maidservant too here have sex with her and they have two more kids and the woman that he wants to marry can't have kids until the end towards the end of her life she ends up having joseph and benjamin follow me for a second jacob had two only two children with the woman that he really loved the three women he never loved he had nine children with he actually had ten children uh, he had ten children with there was one girl and 12 boys what's my point that's the foundation of israel you're like, what are you? What are you trying to say tonight? I'm trying to say, what's your dysfunction? God loves Israel. We have all this stuff about Israel. You know how they started? Completely dysfunctional. Not just the like, their you know, mom and dad didn't get along. It was like there was four moms, and a dad. Two of them were mistresses. They weren't even married. What is your issue in life god can redeem it that's my point you love the book of esther i do too but for different reasons because to me the book of esther is what god can do with man's mess to me the, the nation of israel is not about getting it all right it's about getting god in the middle of your dysfunction and watch what god can do with your mess How about David and Solomon? You've been preaching about Solomon. Do you know that Solomon was the son of Bathsheba, who is the seventh wife of David, who murdered her husband? I know I'm I'm struggling tonight. I, I can feel it. But what am I getting at? I'm saying, this is a year when God's going to take your broken life, and He's going to begin to put myrrh on it. Your wounds, your brokenness, your divorced, your broken, your, your whatever life. You're like I'm disqualified because what? I don't know what because what? But I, I don't know what your disqualification is, but I know who the qualifier is. I, someone asked me a question on a private message on Facebook last week. They said, can, um, can a divorced person remarry if they didn't divorce because of adultery? It was a private message, so n- no one else could see it. And so I'll, I'll thought about that for a second. And I said, well, if, if, if murderers can write 19 books of the Bible then God can re- can forgive and redeem an adulteress. And he wrote back, thank you. Oh, that was kind of a cool conversation, so I posted it on Facebook. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, you don't even want to know what that was like. Well, you can still get on there and check it out. I mean, you, you wouldn't even i mean i knew there would be some resistance i'm not stupid but i didn't know there would be that much resistance and i'm like wow this is really interesting dynamic it's like we believe that the cross brought the blood of jesus cleanses us from all sin and and cleanses us from all reasons for sin right he who when you confess when you confess your sin he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness not just forgive you but cleanse you from all unrighteousness this is not true and so so but we believe that how many of you know if you celebrate esther or how about solomon or israel and you're like yeah god god go god but the divorced person in your church is relegated to their situation forever i don't know where we go from there and no i'm serious i never realized like whoa whoa wait a second are you trying to tell me the power of the old covenant was greater than the power of the new covenant and people write me they wrote i mean lots of comments really i yeah i banned a few people And here's, their, here's one of the main things they, they said, and I get it. Like, you're promoting, when you say you're, listen, you, you people that are, you got divorced, and you asked Jesus to forgive you, and you repented, okay? That's what we're talking about, right? We're not talking about, you, you know what I just said. Yeah. We're talking about, I. I asked Jesus to forgive me and I repented. Maybe I should say, I repented and asked Jesus to forgive me. Like I'm not walking in that anymore. And um, people said, if you tell people that they're forgiven and restored so that they can remarry, you're going to promote divorce because everyone who has a bad marriage is, is going to say, well, I can just dump this one and get another one. And I'm like, it's funny we don't have that attitude towards murderers. We don't say to murder you know what you're going to be forgiven but your life you're pretty much going to live under that or, or a pornographer or anybody else like why is it that we have a certain sin like if you perform that you can be forgiven but you will relegate it to your worst day so are you following me at all <laughs> Matthew 19, people, I uh, probably had 20 people cut and paste, Matthew 19, where Pharisees came and tested Jesus and said, is it lawful to divorce a wife for any reason at all? And Jesus answered, have you not read, God created them from the beginning, he made them male and female, and he said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So no longer are they two, but one flesh. Whatever God has joined together, let no man separate. And they said to him, Why did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said, Because of the hardness of your hearts. Moses permitted you to have divorce, to divorce your, your wives. But from the beginning it was not this way. So I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery. And the disciples said to Jesus, If this relationship of man with his wife is like this, it is better to not marry. But he said, not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it's been given. Let me just uh, say this. Their culture was, you marry a woman, and she's a possession. So you don't even think about marrying her for any long period of time. When the disciples hear Jesus' answer to the Pharisees, they go, Well, then we better not marry. Like, if that's the rule, marry forever, we're done. And Jesus goes, well, that's fine, but most people can't handle that. And, and to me, and so, you know, so people quote that to me, and I'm like, okay, that's true. Jesus said, you know, that if you divorce and remarry, then you commit adultery. But he said, they said, Moses gave us a certificate of divorce. And Jesus said, that was because of the hardness of your heart. How many understand the people are going after the divorce as a document instead of The reason why people divorce, a hardness of heart. How many know that document, two people living together with that document doesn't make them married? Like married means you're merged. Marriage means you have a covenant together. Marriage isn't like a certificate you have on the wall. I'm not promoting divorce. I'm saying this. I'm saying when somebody comes to to me and says, I want a divorce, we we want to get divorced. I say that to them. Matthew 19. I say, listen, when God put you together, you got glued together. And if you if you separate, the pain you think you're in now isn't anything compared to the pain you're going to have when you separate. Like, divorce is considered the most painful. Psychologists say divorce is the most painful thing that can happen in humanity except for the, the death of a child. So people are like, you think you're running from your pain? Oh, wait till you get divorced. You don't even know what pain is until you get divorced. And so, and, and I have talked literally hundreds of people out of divorce. So if you think that I'm like promoting divorce, like you are crazy. My son went through divorce. I lay on the couch for six months. My son had four years of MS symptoms from the stress of it. I get it. And I think if you do everything you can to save your marriage. But what happens on the other side of that when people visit you and, and they're already divorced? I remember my, and I'm almost done with this mess. My very first counseling appointment at Bethel Church 17 years ago was a man and a woman came to my office. I'd never had met them before. They came in my office and they sat down and they had marriage issues. And so I started out just talking to them about their marriage, and let me just give you a quick story. This, they're both, they both divorced their spouses, and the reason they did is because they were, they've been Christians for, since they were kids, and they both went on a missions trip from two different churches, didn't know each other, went on a missions trip for a three-month missions trip, connected on the missions trip, did inappropriate things together on the missions trip, went, agreed to divorce their spouses, went home, divorced their spouses, and married. That was eight years before they are in my office. And now they have a seven-year-old daughter together, and they have three children total. And they're in my office. And they have marriage problems. Okay, what do you tell them? Well, let's try, Acts, let's try Matthew 19. You're both in adultery. Well, they already know that. They're living eight years, in their words, eight years of hell. And he, so I start to work with them, and you know, and I'm, I'm praying for them and all, and I figured this out. The second session, I figure out that they have decided that their marriage could never be blessed because they, they committed the unpardonable sin They intentionally, proactively, on purpose as Christians, divorced their spouses for no reason that's biblical, did everything wrong, got together, had a kid, and figured out that they have the same problem with each other that they had with their spouses. Like, hello, their problem followed them. It just changed names. And here's the crazy thing. I was very much like the people who Facebooked me. I was like, hey, divorce? No, listen, you divorce, you can't remarry. That's the way it is. Here's the rules right here. Here's the rule book right here. Okay? And here's my first customer, or I would say victim. And I walk in my office, and I have to try to figure out how to help them. And I have my three verses on divorce. Yeah, I know them well. I know there's about eight of them, but... Jesus repeats one of them four times. Here's my, here's my, this is my whole toolbox. I got a hammer. That's it. Here's my, you know, eight verses. Okay, eight verses on divorce in the New Testament. Here we go. And I figured out that I'm not going to be able to help them with this hammer because this hammer says hopelessness all over it. And they already had eight years of that beaten into them. And so guess what? They were, they already figured out, here's their problem. Here's what they, they walk in my office and they say, we know we committed adultery. This is like an hour into it. We know we both committed adultery. And we know that Jesus said that if you marry someone who commits adultery, then you commit, so we committed double adultery because we both divorced, we both married. And now what am I supposed to say to them? Hey, here's the way to fix it. You divorce and go back to your spouses who are, by the way, both remarried. No, I'm trying to say, like, what's the solution, church? You want to pull out your hammer? You're going to grab your verse? You're going to, like, okay, well, let me just read this to you. You are forever damned. Okay, you are forgiven. Let me say this to you. You're forgiven, both of you. You're all forgiven. But let me tell you, because there is no solution to this problem, you obviously have a kid together. Your spouses are obviously married they would have to divorce again to that doesn't sound like it sounds like a five way <laughs> so what do you say and listen if you think this is rare you haven't done much counseling i want to ask you a question do we have an answer for that do we go yeah we have no answer for that you just um, sorry um, when you get to heaven, it's all going to work out. But it's going to be hell on the way there. Do you have a... Rede- Can you celebrate Esther and not say to the Esther on this side of the cross, God's a redeemer. Listen, I, I, I know you're... I'm saying, these two people, my two, they became my friends. My two friends are trying to argue me out of you're going to be blessed because the second session i decided in fact i prayed about god what's the solution he said am i not a redeemer did i not come to redeem the world is that thing they did unredeemable can i not work in that marriage can i not bless what i didn't start and this is when i began to realize how did israel start How did Solomon's kingdom start? How did Esther start? All dysfunctional. And God wants to take the ointment that heals the wounds. This is the season we're in. Are you getting this at all? He wants to take the ointment. And I'm telling you, the church doesn't want this ointment. The church is not ready for the palace. Because you know what's wrong with the palace? You know what's wrong? When you meet with people in the palace, their lives are all messed up. And you come in with your rules, and you, don't, you can't answer those rules. You, you don't bring redemptive answers. You bring more rules to the palace. Come on. Come on. You think things are simple. Christians have simple answers to everything. They see the media tells us what to believe, and we walk into the politician's office, and these are the things you need to do to fix this. And we sit down with these guys, and we realize, whoa, whoa, this has been going on for 100 years? Like, this... Wow, this is complicated. Oh, and pretty soon, you—you—I'm you, not saying you put the book aside. You go, Jesus, there's an answer for this, and that's why. how me know that I'm led by the Spirit, and it takes the—that takes the Bible and the Spirit to equal truth. And when I get into any situation, I want to just—I—I'm I, a few minutes over. I just want to say this: I don't care what situation you're in or what situation your palace friend is in. God's not just a forgiver, he's a redeemer. And he could take Esther's, whatever you think about Esther, he could take Esther and make her famous. He could take Jacob's dysfunction and create a nation and go, it's the most blessed nation. It tells a hundred years later, he's saying, I'm gonna so bless this nation that started with two wives and two concubines I'm going to so bless this nation that the people of the world are going to see this nation they're all going to love me. And we get to the New Testament and people have dysfunctional lives and we're like, okay, you can be forgiven and we don't know how, it can, are you with me? We don't know how to work in a mess. Everything has to be here. This is the way it is. I'm going to tell you something. That doesn't work in the palace. These people have, they've committed sins you haven't even thought of. They've, you would need a genius to try to figure out how to untangle that and then they wouldn't be untangled it would just be another mess and i'm just trying to say i'm not saying hey just go sin it's okay dude if you think that you don't even know me i'm saying that's not the issue if we tell murderers they can be forgiven we tell pornographers who by the way are, are adulterers like do you ever say to a pornographer Listen, you haven't, listen, you've, you're clean from pornography. You haven't done it for five years, but you can never marry because you're an adulterer. Or we can say, well, maybe you should cut your hand off and gouge out your eye, then we'd be okay. And I'm trying to say to you like, our simple solutions are, they're, they're rules that actually don't have the heart of the king. And we're telling people, listen your problem is you got the certificate and now you're trying and now you you broke the certificate and Jesus is all no I'm concerned about their heart I'm concerned about the heart I'm not concerned about the Moses gave you a certificate because you had a heart that was so hard that no one could help you and now I'm saying listen is the problem the certificate Or is the problem the heart? When I sit with someone, do I give them the rules? Or do I go after the root issue in their heart? And I I just want to challenge you. This is a year of preparation. Our mama needs to sit down with us and teach us how to live in the palace. And the people in the palace... They got a mess. They're doing stuff you would you, you not even thought of. They create new sins. And when you sit with those people and you come with your hammer and your only answer is not redemptive, you don't have, listen, if you don't have a redemptive answer, you don't have the answer. Why would you say that? I know we're going to I know I know I'm going to get really bad you know not from you guys but but if you don't have a redemptive answer you don't have the answer Guy and gal get married guy doesn't commit adultery but doesn't want to be married she's they're 20 they're tw- 21 and 22 he wants out of the marriage, she's been married a year, she's 22 years old, she, no adultery, no anything, he just doesn't like her anymore, doesn't want to be with her. Okay, she can divorce, right, they can divorce, but she can never remarry according to the rules. So she's a 22 year old that has done nothing wrong, but she's relegated to singleness the rest of her life from the rules perspective. And I'm saying, really? like there's no redemptive process because this guy doesn't want to be married to her she has one choice and that is singleness the rest of her life when when god said it's not good for man to be alone that's the only answer you have really and i just want to challenge you where we're going the hammer. It, it works sometimes. Enough to convince you that it works all the time. But where we're going, you need to read the book of Esther like really slowly. You're going to see a whole other side of Esther, of the king, and you're going to be, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, this wasn't, this wasn't such a righteous story. It ends well because God knows how to take dysfunction. God knows how to redeem, even in the old covenant, God knows how to take the most dysfunctional people, and I'm not saying Esther was the most dysfunctional, but he knows how to take the most dysfunctional people and make a beautiful story that you can tell on Sunday school. And I'll tell you the truth, I think, the, I think God loves the way we retell the story because it's the way he thinks of it, but it's not the way it happened. Would you stand? Let me just... (laughs) If you're thinking about a divorce, forget it. You're like... but he beats me every night all right well let's think about that <laughs> maybe you know i'm just trying to be funny now light in the atmosphere and it's getting worse <laughs> made a covenant forever and there needs to be real reasons why you break the covenant and let me tell you like the real reason is the real reasons oftentimes have to do with i have a hard heart He has a hard heart. She has a hard heart. And I'm like, okay, that's. But here's my message to you. Next six months into the end of June and July, be prepared for a bunch more of this in your personal time. Because the Lord is healing wounds. And I want to tell you, there's people here, and I I won't, because of the nature of this message, I won't identify you. But you're divorced. And maybe you're divorced and remarried. And you're in here, and this is the best message you've ever heard. And you're, the, you're, you're quietly like, amen. Thank you, Jesus. I can go home. And I want to say this to you. I want to say this to you. If you've repented, if you needed to, if you repented, God wants to bless your marriage. If you're watching by Bethel TV, God wants to bless your marriage. Well, it's my third one. Then God wants to bless your third one. I don't care what you've done. God, he doesn't want to just forgive you. He wants to bless it. And listen, if he can't bless the third marriage, then there's going to be a fourth. Because we need God's blessing in our lives. I can't live a day without it. And neither can you. And so Lord, I just pray right now for people who have been um, the ostracized Oh, there's been no answer, no redemptive answer. There's, there's just, this is the way it is, and that's it. God, I pray that you would just really heal people's hearts. That you would put mirth on them and heal their wounds. And that you would restore them, and you would restore their immune system, their ability to fight off disease. And God, I pray that you would heal marriages tonight first marriages especially second marriages third whatever people that are cohabiting i pray that you would teach them about covenant i pray that you would give us answers to really hard problems and people would go you must have the wisdom of solomon no one ever thought of that and lord help us to go in as christ help us to go in as, a, as carrying the message of the Redeemer, the good news. And I pray, God, that, that people that are in marriages that are, that are tough, I pray you'd give them wisdom and you'd give them perseverance and that you'd put really wise people in their life to reconcile their marriage because we, we all know how painful divorce is. And Lord, I pray for this season that we're in as a church, not just Bethel, but as the church, that we would submit ourselves to the seven eunuchs, that people could come in and teach us and train us, people that have have no other agenda. They're not here to fleece the sheep. They're just here to teach us how to be prepared for a different world. I pray, God, that we would submit ourselves to this season. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much.